cliffcentral.com. All right, it is time for the burning platform, which is this morning with uh, Lito and Toba. Lito, it's nice to see you, man. How are you? Morning, guys. I'm good. And yourself? Good. Pumi and I. Have Hello. Been, we've been excited to see you. It's, <laughs> it's been a little while. Um, first of all, yes. how, how, how bad is it in Velkom as compared to everywhere else when the water doesn't work? I mean, the electricity doesn't work and the water doesn't work because we know you have problems with both. Um, so in the township, um, when load shedding comes, so let's, let's assume like, um, there's two hours, there's a two hour difference Yeah. in the township. They, it goes for like four to six hours at times. There's a neighborhood called Bronville where all the colored people were placed. And at times they haven't had electricity for like four or five days in a row. So Jesus, it's that bad. And at times, um, there's no, there's no water. Like yeah. if you go to Bronville now, the water pressure is nothing like you have to wait like an hour for your bath to fill up so that you can take a bath. So, Yo, um, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I knew you'd have a horrible story for us because we always start talking to you about the horrible stories of, of what goes on in a place like Falcom. I mean, is, is anything on the improvement track there? Because we know a lot of people just want to get out. Last time we spoke to you, you pretty much said you, you're going to give up on the place, even though you've been trying you've you've got students you've been trying to help this is your community you've been trying to make a difference we know that you've been putting in a lot of effort behind the scenes you probably do even more than you could talk about but is there a reason to stick around has anything got better are there politicians being held accountable are, i mean am i talking in nonsense here am i just hoping against hope <laughs> This is what we do, right, as South Africans. We're always hoping for something, hoping about anything, right? Um, but in in this place, like, you know, when when I started to think that maybe ACE was better than the people who are here, that's when I thought, yeah, everything has gone down the toilet. Because um, I think if you watch Cut Blanche like a week or two ago, they were talking about the roads in the free state. Mm. Um, they literally had a convoy of nice big cars go and see what potholes are there and say, we promise to fix these potholes. Yeah, wasn't you could just go wasn't uh, Figile, Figile Mbalula was there, wasn't he? Yes. And yeah. then um, the, um, um, somebody from the presidency was here and they had a big convoy to go hand over one house in Allen Ridge. One house. So... But- he did also say Cyril Ramaphosa a, a week and a half ago at a um, I, I don't remember where he was presenting, but at least he was awake unlike yesterday at the, <laughs> at but, the uh, but I digress, I digress. He did say though that you know that ESCOM should stop um, being discriminatory with yeah. load shedding schedules. Yeah, yeah. He, he, load be- shedding yeah, should he, he said the town, townships are bearing an unequal amount of the weight when it comes to load shedding. And he was doing this. Now, I, first of all, don't believe that anyone in the townships is stupid enough to swallow up these platitudes. You can tell he's only saying this because he's trying to curry favor with poor people and make it sound like someone else is um, is victimizing them. Meanwhile, we know the whole reason no, that no, no. any of this is going on is because his government so cuck at their jobs. Yes. If we're being honest, the reason why ESCOM is taking liberties with Velcom, they know you're not going to complain because we still owe them 5 billion rand. <laughs> so they know you have no leg to stand on because oh, when because here's the argument that our government had against ESCOM, right? They say to ESCOM, no, no, no. You also owe us money 
ever since democracy came about, you've had substations on government land. So we also assume, we assume you owe us 200 million rand. And ESCOM says, you owe us 5 billion. What's 200 million rand to 5 billion? How, guys? Belcombe also owes ESCOM. I thought it was just Soweto. No, no, no. Um, All right. Everyone in the free state owes ESCOM um, to the event where Malutia Pofunso, um, the municipality in Kwakwa, they actually, yeah. ESCOM went and repossessed. Yeah, ESCOM repossessed the furniture inside the municipality. No! <laughs> <laughs> yes, is that if you go If you go to Malutia Pofum, if you go to Malutia Pofum, everyone works from home. There's no furniture. Unbelievable. Now, that municipality should just be dissolved. I mean, they don't do anything. Right, they can't do anything from home. A municipality needs to be in a place. They need to be able to connect water, lights. They need to be able to collect revenues. They need to be able to go door to door. I mean, this is outrageous. How can you a municipality not exist except virtually? Especially in a place where a lot of people no, no, no. in that community don't even have internet. I went. I went there to go help um, the the TV sector debate. I think two weeks ago. I got there and the lights were off. So I asked the people in the taxi I'm with, look, how long do the lights go off? They said, oh, no, could be a week, could be three oh, weeks. Jesus. Just get ready. And so you, you think about it and you're like, there are people who are living worse. I complain about welcome. There are people who are living worse than I am now. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're all going to eventually if we don't stop these people. All right. So let's talk about that for a second, because you, you've been speaking to a lot of people. You've been attending these, these lectures and debates and things. Governance in South Africa, has it reached the bottom yet? I mean, we talk about, you know, investments and, and currencies and Bitcoin reaching the bottom. And people go, oh, well, if we're dragging ourselves along the bottom, then you buy now. So it can only go up because we've reached rock bottom. Do you think we've reached rock bottom in places in South Africa like Velcom? Places like Kwakwa. I mean, really. Or do you think there's still some we can keep on digging? Do you think there's still room to keep digging? <laughs> so my problem is always... The small towns reach the bottom first, right? Mm. These small, obscure towns on the side reach the bottom first. And you guys in the Johannesburgs and the metros reach the bottom way mm. later than the rest of us. Mm. I went to Malutia Pofum. They reached the bottom. They took the ANC out, and the people who came in are just as bad. And so they are disgruntled with the party political system in general. They hate everyone because they they're not getting what they deserve. And so I think, so my question is that, is it that we are all at this stage or are, are there people still out here who still have hope, who are still saying, oh, maybe the DA can help me or maybe Action SA can help? Because by the way things are looking now, nobody's really trying to help the average South African. And in, in most of these small towns, if you go there, like you have these DA members if you ask them any question, you see that these people have given up. They're just there at the council to get money. And so the alternatives are even failing. So I'm asking that because are, is the rest of South Africa feeling the same way? Are we, are we all not fed up? Because right now, I think the person in Johannesburg values petrol more than they do anything else. If you're not getting petrol in Johannesburg and it's getting higher and higher, where are you really, right? Because people mm. in Valcom, we can walk in any direction and we'll get to where we want to get to. Mm. And so everything is like an hour away from anything else. And so I'm, I'm thinking that the way in which our country is going now, we must be at the bottom because one, we saw civil with this whole 
money laundering scheme that he calls a farm and auctions and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and so the the biggest problem with South Africans is we always suffer this whole, the emperor is naked. We know he's naked. We've mm-hmm. seen him, right? We're all standing at the banquet. He's there in his undies, right? Mm-hmm. No, now what, right? And the second question is, if if the emperor is naked in this way, who else do we run to? Because it doesn't even seem like South Africa is running to anyone else. It just seems like we're all just stuck here going, how do we how do we move, right? We're all, oh, well, it's the ANC. Oh, well, it's ESCOM. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't have water. That worries me. That worries me a lot. Because if we're at the end of our wits about it, if, we, if we're really at rock bottom, we would be acting and saying, no, no, no. It's just me. I don't care. Let's just move on. Me and the people who are my neighbors, me and the people who I love, let's try to do something for ourselves. But right now, we're still looking to these people, thinking that there's some kind of outside help that's coming. And that that's going to be the most dangerous part, I think, in the next coming two or three years. The fact that we're still hoping for somebody to come from up high and you know float down to us and try to help us. So let's let's talk about this situation with Becky Taylor because I think it it expresses for many people the kind of frustration that you're talking about here, Lito. And um, it's it's a it's a guy in a community policing forum in the Western Cape who's just had enough of uh, Becky Taylor. The interesting thing about this clip is not just that he's shouting at the police minister, which we'd all like. In Cameron, I think is his name, shouting at Becky Taylor is also yeah, it's instructive. Wasn't. What's that? I don't think he was shouting. I mean, I, I when I no, watched that okay, clip yesterday, no, by the time enough. I watched the clip, by the time I watched the clip, I'd seen quite a lot of comments. I heard on the radio when I was driving on on one of the the radio stations, they spoke about it, and this. Mm. So I was quite interested to know who is this minister that's lost his shit, mm-hmm. and what went down. He is in a in in a in a town hall. And he is simply projecting, but he is extremely respectful. Yes. He is frustrated, but he is not rude. Okay. He is not. Fair enough. You know, no, 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 you're he, right. He is extremely, okay. No, you are right. This, I, I don't think any, I, I think there's no way of seeing this other than Begitele lost his shit for no reason except for the fact that the truth is sharper than a double-edged sword. Well, here it is. Here's the, the audio, which I want us to listen to, and you can decide for yourself. I'm not going to play the video because it's grainy and uh, also it's a distraction. So rather listen to what this guy says and then listen to Begitele's, like response to this. All right, so here it is. James, she was murdered on the 8th of May in Kailicha. She was stabbed 100 meters from where six other people were shot five minutes earlier. No one followed up that case. We did, because her sister asked us to help. Do you know where we found the suspect? In the Eastern Cape. We brought him back. He is now being detained in Kailicha. We do that because we care for the community. We patrol for them. We give them training. I don't see you doing the same, sir. And I'm tired of the excuses, and I'm tired of you making this a political thing. None of these people tonight, when they see their neighbors being slaughtered on the streets, worry about your nonsense comments about the Constitution and about devolution. They worry about surviving, sir. And I would like to end off with this. I want to graciously invite you to come and patrol without a bodyguard, without a grand car, 
in normal clothes with this community tonight to get the sewage on your shoes that they patrol through. You have a problem, Mr. Minister, because you are removed from reality that the rest of us face. When I visit Mbukweni, I get out of my car and a three-year-old little boy is taking a poo next to the road because he doesn't have a toilet. And you know what? Police don't care if something happens to them there because they don't have the resources to help. When I go to the different gender-based violence tests at these police stations, especially in the Nyanga cluster or traditional Nyanga cluster, the majority of the detectives have more than 300 dockets on their table. 300 dockets! How do you think you can do an investigation with 300 dockets? It's impossible. And then, the cherry on top, and this is my conclusion, is that many of those detectives have 300 dockets, and it's a constable detective. He just came out of the college. He doesn't even know how, how to spell J88. All right, so that's just a, a clip of him, which we, we haven't seen as much of that. We've, I think a lot of people have been passing around the clip of Becky Trelle losing his mind. But um, I haven't seen that clip of yeah. Becky Trelle losing his mind. But oh, do you, you hear I'll this find man? It for you. This man is respectful. Yeah. This, you know, he is res- he's not even shouting. Mm. He's simply projecting. Apparently, he got, like, escorted off the premises by yeah, police. That's true. What the hell? Yeah. Because he and, dared to stand up to uh, to Becky Kela and, and, and his, uh, as he says, he's disconnected from reality. And I think that's the case for a lot of politicians. They don't live in the world that we live in. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that's, that was Becky Kela's, the reply that Becky Kela gave mm. was indicative of the politicians of South Africa, right? It's, it's the draft going into the nice, uh, Italian pants that he's wearing and he's sort of feeling the small man syndrome. And he he brings up all of these points where he wants to get conflict against this guy and not necessarily get the community what they need. And so he's trying to build up the conflict. That's why you hear some of the people also clapping hands when he says this. He says, no, 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 but you were the ones who created this and your parents and this and that and the apartheid. And I fought there, and I was in the cold water, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. All this shit nobody cares about. In order about to anymore. create, yeah. exactly, to create the conflict that he knows that the ANC thrives in. Because that's what they do. They thrive in the chaos of well, South Africa. Do you want to, and do you, that's what he tried to do with that venue. Pums, do you want to hear his uh, Bekitele's uh, little tirade, just so that you can have some context for that, and then we can talk about it? Do you want to hear it? Okay. All right, so here's Bekitele lashing out at, at that guy that we just heard now. Did not... Join human rights battles yesterday. That's why I was sent to prison. That's why I was sent to Robben Island. That's why I lived in the cold water. That's why I ate bad food, because I was fighting for human rights. That's why today we have human rights. Don't teach me about human rights. Don't tell me and tell about the safety of my people. I fought for it. I nearly died for it. I was arrested for it. I was exiled for it. Don't, don't provoke me. Don't, don't talk things that you have studied and you have heard, you have been told about. I've lived this life. By the way, I've lived the life of being. African. He's wagging his finger I've while he's doing this. When my mother was called, of a course he is. When my father was called a garden boy, 
I've lived that life. And I'm not going to take any nonsense of somebody who regards me as a garden boy today because you regard me as a garden boy. You come here, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I sat here, I sat here, I listened to you. That's pretty much where it goes. I mean, I'm not going to carry on, but you can hear. He actually no lost, he lost his right. Yeah, he started shouting shut up to this guy. And, and then they took him away. They took this guy away. They, they, they hauled him out of the room. And it's just outrageous that politicians are allowed to carry on like this. And, and I'm glad that he was rattled. And it shows you how thin their skins are. And, um, and, and you know, I, I like it that he, he, t- he took everything out of the playbook. He, he yeah. put it all on my, the table. My father's a garden boy. By the way, his father wasn't a garden boy. That's it's worth saying that his father worked for the railways. Um, it's it's worth also noting that there are a couple of inconsistencies here. He but he did he tried the whole playbook. You know, you're calling my, me a garden boy. You you studied this stuff. You don't experience it. I and mean, you heard that guy's walking around patrolling these neighbourhoods. He's got more experience of policing than Becky Taylor has uh, ever had. And and it just it all falls apart when you just dig a little bit deeper, right? No, no, and also here's you know the the defining line for me is the is what they pull in poor communities with our people, right? I went to Robin Island. I worked for this. I nearly died for this, right? He even says, so you don't tell me about the safety of my people. He then says, you wouldn't have human rights if it were not for, for me. me you owe me that yeah 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 yeah. so he's he's not talking to him at that time he's talking to the black people around him mm-hmm. he's saying you don't listen to him mm-hmm. you owe me for this mm-hmm. this is what i've done for you right i'm i'm black i'm you i'm i'm i nearly died for you i'm <laughs> jesus yeah you owe me clap hands for jesus yeah <laughs> he said you owe me and so when he does that, this is what the politician in South Africa does. They love conflict. They love us fighting. <coughs> Excuse me. And they love us angry. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. Yep. Absolutely. Well, also, you know, there's this deep, there's, there's deep, like, insecurity uh, if you scratch a little bit beneath the surface with a lot of these politicians. Because the minute... Uh, you call them out on their bullshit, it, it becomes like a personal thing. They play the man instead of the ball, which is always a sign that the argument is being won by by the, the side that isn't playing the man and, and is just playing the ball, which is exactly what we see happening here. I like that he was rattled. I like that this happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing to witness. And I hope many South Africans have seen it and that they can all see through all the nonsense that we've been sold. I love this idea of the savior, like you owe me, I'm the Jesus. It's such nonsense. Right and and I think and I think the the people who are helping our poor people right must also be careful when they dunk on the government like he did because to some point there are people in our communities who still buy the trash from the government right because you heard people clap mm. somebody is shouting boo mm. tell him right mm. so. We need to be careful when doing those things because now the person who's helping is partially seen as the villain Mm. because Mr. Jesus Pants here has said he's Jesus. Mm. And so I think 
And his, his tactic was, was, even though his, his methods and the reason why he was doing it were justified, I think the saddest part was, the, and the, the minister got to do what he wanted to do, was to detract from the crimes that are happening in the community. Mm-hmm. From, from the women, like, that guy was talking about a woman in May who got dismembered. Yeah. They went and found the killer who dismembered a woman. Yes. Who, who raped her, killed her, cut her arms and legs off. Yeah. And so, and these, these filthy politicians get to come to these communities and, and soil the names of those people. And, and I, I, I think more and more, those people should reach out to communities find, and find intermediaries because you can hear him. Um, it, it's when people are at the most desperate point where they go seek out the NPOs, the NGOs, right? And not on a regular basis where the government now can start to feel the pressure. I think if, if there's an intermediary between the community and those people who want to help the community, it would be such a smoother process. And we wouldn't even, I don't think people would have, would have attended that um, that summit that they had, if if the communities and the NGOs and NPOs were doing it themselves, because the reason why that young man stood up, right, is because Begitkele started by disrespecting him. He says to him, "Oh, I, I don't even know who you are, because for me, the real um, CPFs is the CPFs that we talk about as the police. You're not the CPF, which doesn't make sense, right? Because." Everyone is trying to decrease the crime. It doesn't matter if the police give you a, a yellow jacket or not. That's also because the guy's white. And right? I, let, let's not mess around. It's also because the guy's Leto, white. I think, Leto, you know, I think, and it's one of the things that you wanted to talk about today is, is about just the reflection on society. And I know it, it was um, linked to Enyo Beni, but I think it also falls into this particular um, discussion. Is a, it's about the society in which we live in, right? So there are quite a lot of different factors that are also about the brokenness of of our society. So not just, I mean, Begitel is unhinged. He's a warlord. He's ineffective. He is terrible at what he does. We know all of these things. I mean, the man was so bad, he was fired by Jacob Zuma. But, you know, in all his wisdom... Our president brought him back, <laughs> and but but there there really is a whole other spectrum around the communities within which we live, and how and the interpersonal relationships in those communities, even before you bring in the NGOs. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Mm. Yeah, you know, and and because our society is so conflicted, right? The, the conflict has defined us. I, I was talking to a colleague um, yesterday in the afternoon, and, and we were talking about how everyone wants to put the context based on color, based on everything else. And so that's why everyone wants to have a little grain of salt, right? My colleague even said he is suspicious of gift of the givers, for instance. He says, why, why is it just Indians in that oh organization? God, really? Even though they're helping everyone. Jesus. Yes, because the, the context of color is so disgust, disgustingly dragged into everything in this country. Yeah. It, it, it drags itself in places where you actually don't need it. And so that's why I, 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 I think 
even when we try to get into conflict with these politicians, because they have nothing to offer. And that's what hurts me the most, that the people with nothing to offer, we, we give them a chance to enter the conversation. We must now show them that they're isolated because outside of the ANC or these politicians, people of South Africa can do these things themselves and can be self-reliant. And so by, by, by dunking on them in this situation or trying to include them in the conversation, we, in fact, bring them into a place where they're irrelevant. And so I think holding them into that periphery and, and, and at times holding them to account yeah. is actually doing the work that they can't. I think that's where their accountability is. Yeah, but Where you hear this guy says, they brought a criminal from the Eastern Cape back to the Western Cape. How do we get past this thing that you just brought up now, where, where someone will say, oh, well, I don't know so much about Gift of the Givers because they're run by Indians, so how can we trust them? Or you see Becky Taylor treating this guy like he's not a member of the CPF just because he's the white guy in the room. And I think he was the only white guy in that room, by the way. Uh, how do we stop people from thinking this way? Because this is the poison. This, and this is what the politicians use. This is their leverage, right? This is how they make you think, well, if it's a white person, if it's a colored person, if it's a black person, if it's an Indian person, your whole thinking must change around this. I thought the whole point of 1994 and everything that has come since was that we would stop seeing people that way. It seems to have gone the opposite direction in some ways. The whole point of 1984 was supposed to be that. But if it is actually that, then South Africans would actually bring about our South African solutions, right? We would firstly burn these damn businessmen, we'd burn the damn politicians, and we'd be relying on ourselves. And so I think the first step in doing that, I think, is that the, the problem is our the, the skills that take care of our problems are outside of our communities sometimes, right? And the problem is when those skills come to our communities, they come from the people that we were told not to trust, right? And when you are bringing solutions, so let's assume you are Gareth and you're bringing a solution. Mm -hmm. You don't come to a solution and say, trust me first. You assume that people would intrinsically flow towards the solution. The people in need would flow towards the solution, but normal people who are still under the guise of don't trust Gareth because he's white would then doubt your intentions before anything else. And so that's why I say, whenever, if anyone from an NGO or an NPO is listening, if you want to go into a community, find an intermediary who would help you translate each other's one differences, but also your problems to each other in order for you guys to also become a community. Because becoming a community is not about where you live, what you look like, who you are, but it's the actions that you take for each other. What are you willing to do for each other in order to become better, right? Mm -hmm. And I think these two things aren't happening. When gift of the givers comes, they come at emergency times, right? And when they yeah. leave, somebody can then say, ah, but these Indians, they're always here trying to flex on us. It's because they have money. It's because they live in this neighborhood. And so we, we still don't understand each other's point of view as South Africans, and we don't regard that as important because the politicians want us to think it's not there anymore, right? Yeah. And then so you'll have the, they'll tell you that the millennials don't see color, none of that. Throw all of that away. See color and talk towards that color and talk it away. Because the more we talk, the more we interact, the less we see about color or the different places where you were put by the apartheid government to live. We'll start seeing each other as human beings.
So, you know, echoing, I think Robert Sobukwe, and I saw somebody in the comments as well, one one of um, his most quoted lines, Robert Sobukwe, is about that there's only one race, the human race. Mm. And, and one of the things that as South Africans, we have been exploited uh, against us, all of us South Africans, is really the issue that our differences are so much less than the things that keep us that that make us the same yeah. right so the conversations that 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 are being had and this is what you see and what you hear is people who are desperately clinging on to a power that they feel slipping away from them yeah. this is why you hear Begitele, um fighting so hard to be loved and accepted as this person that has, and it's not just Begitale. I mean, we saw it at the beginning of the year. Lindi Wesisulu wrote a huge op-ed. Right, has been in has been in government since she was forty or something ridiculous, mm. like since Nelson Mandela. And here she is, suddenly, kind of feeling like you know, hey, South Africa, hey, Mzansi, you know, have we seen justice yet? And and all of those differences that get exploited really do pull us apart further from each other. What's amazing for me and this year i've traveled more in communities outside of the urban areas as in those places people don't see those other people in we were in malamulele the kids growing up in malamulele do not have a race problem why because they don't see people of other races they really don't they understand that their problem is not having water or not being able to get to school because the river has flooded and there is no mm-hmm. bridge <laughs> so you know but but also kind of here in the centers so even in Velcom, you you are in a bit of a center because you get access you get access to the news you get access to the outrage the internet as intermittent as it is and so the conversations that are being had in those spaces also confirm those biases that we all have, right? Because we started earlier talking about getting different ideas from different people because those confirmations are, if you surround yourself only with people who have the similar experience to you, then you just have the same things that you complain about, right? And when you're in a community like the community in that town hall and suddenly you see these six big flashy cars arriving, it's very difficult for when Begitzele has left for that community to keep hating on an Ian Cameron, who is part of their community, who yeah. they see every day, who works alongside them, who helps them get the solutions. So in it's other kind words, of bridging I mean, that gap. Yeah, and I, I mean, Pums, that's quite a hopeful story because what it means is that in the end, these guys cannot win because they just don't have the ability to Ooh. be there every day reminding us of the hatred and trying to stoke the, the, the ugliness. Um, ultimately, we will win if we do stick to, together. But I mean, you've just been to rural KwaZulu-Natal. You've just been to Ngotu. Uh, just tell us, how does that differ from the experience of people either in urban centers like us when we live here and and how does it differ from people like uh, Lieto who's in in the free state I mean is there is there much of a difference <laughs> I I don't think the difference is very much to uh, Lieto's experience in the in the free state but I will tell you that the conversations we have in Joburg 
on Twitter, on the radio, those conversations are not the conversations being had out there. There was a by-election. There were two by-elections yesterday, one in Nelson Mandela Bay and one in Tsikama, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> you know, we, Gareth, you and I will rage rage about not having electricity, having intermittent electricity. We will rage about having water every, you know, having the water cut off every three days. That is because we lived in a world where all of those things have always worked. And we can, and, and I also saw with somebody on Twitter with a journalist, with a, a, a Sunday Times journalist talking about how these things are like, you know, they're like air. They just are. Mm. <laughs> but, and that's why I give you the example of a Malamulele or even a Ngutu. Today, when they have electricity three out of seven days, it is still better than where they come from, where they had no electricity every day. <laughs> you you know what I'm saying? So so the the distorted view of it is oh so the electricity is not on today, but you now I still have it three times a week, whereas before I've never had it at all. You know, and and that's the conversation that needs to be had, and we often have the conversation here where I say, unfortunately, what the opposition parties fail at mm. is having the conversation that will convert people in the places where they need to be had in order to have a majority, right? So it's not enough to only be having these conversations in the newspapers or on on the news, on TV. If you're not on the ground, Lieto, to the point that you're making, that says even NGOs, you need to become part of this community. You need to understand each other. You need to speak with each other or have somebody translate your intentions and your actions for the person on the other side but you know can i can i just if we don't do that we won't win if we don't do that we won't win i want to refer to one of the comments here from siabonga who says um and siabonga is a new commenter you know we have lots of people they always said to us in radio you only one percent of your audience actually engages and interacts i think that might have gone up since the dawn of social media but it's true nonetheless that we, we get some interesting insights from the, the comment section, and there are always people who have kind of the same point of view and repeat themselves. But Siamonga is new, and he says, let's not forget about the media, who tried to portray Ian Cameron as an unruly, privileged white guy instead of showing the good things he's done for the con- neglected black community and the great person that he is. I think the point here is, just like he was saying to Becky Tele, come and patrol with us, why don't the media, who are happy to show like a fight between Becky Tele and some guy in the neighborhood. Why don't they go on patrol with this dude? Why don't the media do the hard work either? Because they don't want to get their their, uh, expensive shoes dirty either, do they? They don't want to walk through sewerage. None of the media are interested in portraying community heroes. They would much rather show a race fight, a a conflict. That, That gets them ratings. And, and who's actually going to watch this guy on his patrols at night if they do film him? Probably not a lot of people. So maybe it comes down to us, not the media. Do you think that that's a valid point no, to no. bring up? But I think not even about us or the media, right? So for this one, I blame you, Gareth, right? You, DJs, Wu, Mac G, because the media now is reverting back to its basic nature, right? Because mm-hmm. you guys are, are whipping them all over this internet. 
And so they then need to sell the basics, sex, violence, oh, you conflict. Mean, oh, you mean we're, right? we're doing this to the mainstream media? Yes, because uh, the mainstream media now is afraid to do deep dives, right? Because, like you say, they're afraid of the possibility of people not watching, right? right? And so what they would do then, it's easier to then say, hey, white guy talks to black guy about black people right. not getting crime solved, mm. right? Yeah. It gets a, such a small caveman narrow view. Reptile that brain. It's yeah. the, the violence, exactly. So that the violence is exactly all that we need to do. Let's, let's just focus on the violence between the whites and the blacks. But actually, the deeper story there is how a minister, somebody with all the power to solve crime, to help communities, is actually getting solutions. Because that guy gave him solutions. He said, we need you to help with training. We need you to help employ these people. Because that's what he was saying. He says, you can't have 300 cases as a detective. That just shows you that you can't employ more people to come and help with investigations. Right. We, we are here to help you. We are here to show you the talented people. <laughs> but our government hates talented people. It hates talented black people, mm. to be specific. Well, because because they talented black people... Make them look bad. Yes. And also, it, it, it makes them... It, it takes away from the Jesus, right? You're right? I'm now the Jesus I need. I think you just... And so you, you just the is no longer Jesus. You just hit the nail on the head. So... I mean, if you're not a talented person, then talented people are a threat to you. And if being a black and talented is even more threatening, that means that all you've got is the black part. And that's exactly what Becky Taylor yes. was showing us in that, in that uh, interaction. So I don't want us to be completely obsessed with just this one thing. Can we also please refer, and Pumza, you, you can have the last word on this, but I do want us to move on to Enyo Beni because um, there's a lot about that story that still bothers me. You know, there are a couple of stories in the past five to ten years that really bother me. One of them is still the, 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 the Marikana situation, which we've never really got to the bottom of. And we've brought this up, and I don't mm. want to sound like a broken record. The other one is, is the, um, this In Your Benny thing, which is new. And, and then that, that situation where the, all those, those, those people who had severe mental health problems were put into homes where they weren't looked after – um, what was it called? The the um, life, life as demand. Life demand. Thank you. Quite right. That those three stories have have bothered me because there's no good on the one side of those stories. It's all bad on the one side of those stories, and yet we're still prevaricating over whether or not X person must be sent to jail, whether Y person must be held responsible. We know in all of these situations that there are at least one group of people who are definitely on the bad side, whether it's law enforcement in the case of, um, of this Enyo Beni Tavern situation, whether it's the owner of the tavern, and I know we like to blame people, and Pumi, you said it last week, we need to have a savior and we need to have a bad guy. But really, in these situations, I feel like it's kind of clear, you know, where you have children dying in this most recent situation, you have the most vulnerable people with huge mental mental problems and, and emotional problems and developmental problems in the life estimeni situation. And in Marikana, where you have completely disempowered mine workers, they have the hardest job in the world. They're going underground. They got treated like absolute shit, and then the police opened fire on them. I mean, it just seems to me like these are cut and dried, now someone must go to jail situations, and nothing's happened in all three of them.
So first I do want to say, sorry, Leah, I do yeah. want to say, just finishing off with the, the um, Nyanga conversation, yeah, sure. mm. the Begitzele conversation, is that the, the real hero of that situation is also the person with their cell phone taking all these video clips and sending them out. Right? Because we, we would never have seen yeah. it to the point of, you know, Begitzele. What I heard was I heard the minister got unhinged because of you or you hear until I saw the videos on social media, no one really got what the full story was. And Ian Ian Cameron was almost relegated to being an unruly white guy somewhere, you know, in the hood. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, no, really. now, pe- now people are taking notice. That's no, true. you're right. Okay, but let's talk about Enyo Beni. What, what does this tell us about ourselves? Right? You know, the, the part that broke me, like I, I really didn't want to follow the story that much. The part that broke me was when an SABC reporter went and had an interview with the wife of the tavern owner. Hmm. And this woman sat there and said to the reporter, Oh, you wanted me to close the tavern because children are coming here. So how must we live? So me and my husband must die of hunger. And so that question got me out of my mind, right? That this person knows what's happening in her tavern is wrong. She knows it, right? And then her justification is, oh, well, I'm hungry. Hey, man, the world is fucking me over too, so somebody else must get fucked mm. over. What do I care? And I, I was so saddened by that. Is Where are we living right now, right? Where children go to a tavern and everyone is... Uh, we we're sad because it happened. And it's a sad situation. We're sad because children died. And it's always a travesty when children die in such a manner. But how did we get to a point where children were all confined in a damn tavern? I, I mean, this place is reputed there. Like if, if the owner reaches his target, he gives out a certain brand of alcohol for free to the children. <laughs> if a child passes out, they, give, they say, no, don't give them water. Here's this one specific drink and give it to them. And so we, we are in a place now where we must start talking about how the things we, we, we put on social media and the things we're all portraying as cool and fancy, how that's affecting our children, right? I, I remember once, it was way back when you were at the SABC, Gareth, you gave us a statistic that we're one of the highest beer-consuming countries in the world, yeah. right? I was very young then, and I was still alarmed by that. I'm, I'm alarmed by it now, is that we... we we sort of seem to brag about it. Even during the pandemic, people were telling you how, yeah, I'm willing They're to buy... They're making pineapple beer. Yes, I'm willing to buy a, an alcoholic beverage at 100 times the cost because, hey, I have to live by this thing. We, 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 can't, we can't live without it. And so that is, is now slowly creeping into the lives of our children. They're starting to see that as normal in South Africa. And I think the normalization of, of, of this immoral actions of these immoral actions, but also the condoning of those immoral actions. So I'm not even just saying the tavern owner, because one of the mothers said, or of the of the deceased kids, oh, I was concerned when my child didn't the have dad. the allowed. 
the yes. dad. When my child didn't come knocking at the door around 1 a.m. as they usually do on Saturday evening. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, dog? Why is your 13-year-old out at 1 a.m.? What is happening? And so it seems like a, a deep moral decay that we're not taking care of, that we're not having a conversation about because it's an unpopular conversation. Mm-hmm. I've been watching these media outlets all throughout the week, and nobody has been talking about that. No one. Why, as a society, are we accepting kids going to a tavern well, and that being the good time of the tavern? I agree with you about the tavern owner. There's a, there's a huge degree of responsibility there. But this thing about of making the parents not responsible, you know, because either they live in a township or they're poor. Or we've got this idea of the virtuous poor in, 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 in South Africa and in the world. And we never – it's almost what I call the – well, it's, it's what a lot of people would call the, um, the, 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 the low expectation oh, – hang on, I've just gone completely blank. The <laughs> – uh, the, the low bigotry yeah. of the here it is the low bigotry of soft expectations where the bigotry of soft expectations what you do is you you essentially patronize people because they're poor and perhaps they're uneducated and you think well let's not blame them now these are parents the parents have to be the first line of defense for their children and if your children enter into a lifestyle or enter into a venue or enter into a form of behavior which is dangerous for them the first person to stand in the way of that happening should be the parent i'm not a parent pumi you're the only one uh, lito you have children no so no. Pumi, you're the only one who can speak here as a parent but for some reason we uh and 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 again i agree with lito the the, the media have been completely derelict in not paying attention to the parents and their responsibilities in all of this it's all about the tavern owner it's all about the police in the area it's all about the neighborhood watch it's it's got nothing where are these parents but it's it's last week when i said the problem is everybody in the cycle Right, it's it's not just, it's not just no, but, the parents. But the problem when we do that, the, the liquor we, store. When we no, when we do no. that, though, we don't actually identify the culprit because no, we we're now spreading but, uh, blame. He, hear like, me out. Like Alec hear Irwin used to do about Escom. Remember that. So so hear me out on this, sure. right? And and this is why it's it's important for me to understand the entire cycle. And, and all of the individuals that are in here. Mm. You can start at the home with the parent and you can say, where are these parents, right? Where are these parents and why are they not uh, looking after these children? But, and if I put to you that say, this is a single parent home or even a due income, two parents in this home who have, who look after these kids and they work every day or seven days a week this happened on a saturday night i think right and and there are some people who work right through the week and get thursdays off instead of a saturday or a sunday mm-hmm. uh, or any other time and are working from a country to country have to travel to work therefore leave their kids at home 
early in the morning to get to work by eight sure. o'clock and come sure. back late at night and therefore are not there to be able to monitor those kids and see where those kids are all of the time. Then you ask yourself, where are the grandparents and why are they not assisting? Where are mm. the aunts? Where's the extended family right. in this situation? I mean, you, you were, right? you, you're a good or parent. Or even the community. You're a good parent. You try to look after your son the best way you can and you work hard. I mean, this is again the soft biggest and, with low expectations. Let's not make, let's is, not make and, excuses and, for these but, people. No, no, no. It is not making excuses. It is simply saying, and, and this is why I'm saying to you, you, you've gotta, you've gotta understand all of these things in the system, right? Mm. You have a, a, a tavern owner who has supposedly got a liquor license, which supposedly has some kind of guidelines of where to be, how many hours to be open, who they can serve alcohol to, which is a tavern in the middle of a residential area. How is that part of liquor license rules, right? Where is the community? When the police, and so their license agreement is X and they do not stick to that and there is no law enforcement to make them stick to that. And this this is this is the entire cycle of events and let us not forget guys let's not behave like we were never teenagers teenagers are, are insane and incredible and they will try their luck with everything people have stories and i think the things that that we saw kind of coming out people have stories where their parents had sent them to board boarding school because they were not going to be and people made skeleton keys of the boarding house this and then mm. you know so <laughs> the, all of all of these things come on right all of these things are part of that however and when you are in this situation everybody that has a blame to take that blame must be apportioned to those people the kids the parents, the community, the tavern owner, the liquor license giver, the police who do not show up, all of them. Yeah, it, it's the, the bottom falling out of the bucket, right? Everyone who should have done something failed dismally, right? Because yeah. I, I, I'm even saying that, like the parents, but now the problem is this, we're not having that proper conversation for me. Yeah. We're, we're just having it about the one and not the other, mm-hmm. right? Because I was thinking about myself, right? I know I'm selfish about it, but we, we in, in my, in my um, neighborhood, there in the township, there's an open field where all the older boys, so me and the other guys, the younger boys, the people who don't work, we're all like, no, no, let's all get our shovels from home and let's make a field for the kids, Right? that every afternoon, the one Nyaupe boy who used to know how to play soccer will buy him some beer after practice, he'll practice the kids, and then when he's done with that, we'll buy you two or three beers. That's the responsibility of the young guys who work and the young guys who don't work. We're gonna make sure that the little kids know at least how to play soccer on the afternoons, right? And so even that failed, right? Because apparently, if you go to that place, there's nothing for kids to do. There's mm-hmm. no park, there's no place, there's nothing else. And so everything that could have fallen apart has fallen apart in that society. But sports has my been problem taken is, out of the school system. Public schools don't yes. have any sports. And so my, my issue is that if and when that happens in, play, in other places, because it could have, now we've seen that it could happen, that everything that can fail has failed. How do we start to redress that? 
simply on a moralistic basis, like on a moral fiber basis to say, as a community, what, what are we not willing to accept? That the, the one guy in the community who's the loudmouth can go to that tavern and keep saying to that guy, hey, but my nigga, what are you doing? Why do you keep letting these people in? You understand? Can we not start building that? Because if we don't, this could occur more and more. And it won't just be kids next time. It won't just be, it will be another kind of disaster that we are not aware of, that we think is the cool thing until people die. Well, I, the one thing I think we'll all agree is that there is no place for um, attention-seeking politicians at funerals for children like this. There is no reason <gasps> that Cyril Ramaphosa should find his way to... And if I were a parent of these children, this would add insult to injury. This would not be a comfort. You know, these politicians who cloak themselves in, in the uh, idea that they're there to comfort the bereaved. I mean, I can't imagine a worse thing than a politician arriving if I'd lost my child in a tragedy like this. Um, I, I find it all just so tasteless and ugly. And yet he arrives, and then Pumi, you pointed out earlier, he fell asleep. Yay. Yeah. Jesus. Midway through everything. Jesus. Talking about a systemic failure, the, the, the entire infrastructure around the president is also failing him here. Because mm -hmm. really, is there nobody there making sure that, listen, Mr. President, you're going to be at a long funeral in the hot sun. You should have a nap on your way there so that you're not falling asleep in front of the cameras. But hell, why is there nobody saying, why the hell are you going to this funeral? Why the hell are you going to this funeral? It reminded me, Leto, you were talking earlier about kind of the, I did this, we went, I went to exile, all of those old images it reminded me of the old imagery that we used to see a lot of in the 80s of the mass funerals, you know, the 15 coffins. Hey. I remember those. <laughs> lined up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it reminded and even, me of that. And I was the, just like, the, what are these Whoever doing? got the tender, whoever got the tender for that uh, state funeral also wanted to do the tacky thing of making all the coffins look the same. It sickened me. I was sitting at home, almost scratching my eyes out. It was so cringeworthy. They took over the whole process, you know, the, the process of the community going back to the home, sitting with you, eating with you, trying to help you through this. Oh, no, no, no. We have little government packets for you. Just sit where you are. We're going to take the caskets away to where the funeral is going to be held. I'm like, no. That's not what you need at that so moment. So That's not what the community needs. That's not what the country needs. That's Ugh. not what those people need. Get out of the way so people can do what they do to mourn. No, they're there trying to take everything over because a tender was given out. It was sickening. All right, so so can we quickly? It was awful. We've got like a minute or two left, um, and I, I I I loved us to. We uh, didn't even get to talk about Boris Johnson and uh, her and the people I resigning, watched, <laughs> guys. I what? I watched you, a bit of this see, before now, before my power went out last night. I saw a little bit of him being questioned by that parliamentary committee. Yo, but they had a go at each other, and he I was being. I must sure. tell you, I mean, if I were Boris Johnson, I'm, I, must, I must tell you, I really admire. I've always thought he was a bit of a buffoon, and I liked it when he wrote for GQ about cars and women and things like that. But I've always thought that Boris was completely out of his depth as a prime minister. But I have to say, after watching him being taunted 
interrogated and cajoled like he was yesterday by these people. The, the way he maintained his cool was unbelievable. I would have lashed out and jumped over that table and physically attacked some of these men who were questioning him. Jesus, he was, he yeah, was so cool. Yo, he was so cool and, and calm. And I mean, they, clearly they didn't throw him out last night because that was the talk before my power went out. And then I decided to go to bed that they were going to actually uh, have, 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 him re, have him recalled. A vote of no, yeah. a, a vote of no confidence. What they did with, to with John Major. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I think they're having break room channel chats about him resigning. Hmm. Yeah, yeah there, there is a, that's the only he way. Could he could survive this. I, I mean, he could no, survive no, no. this. If he refuses to resign, he's going to survive because the, the next vote of no confidence must be triggered in the next 12, 12 months from now because it's just had one. All right. So you can't do it now. Oh, okay. Is that so how it works? That's, that's the loophole that's saving him. Yeah. Huh. So he, it's either that they frustrate him to a point of resignation. Jesus. But I think he still. After last night, he got a few fans. I, I, he was he was toughing it out so well last night mm. that I, I I did sort of clap for him and go yeah, yeah. under under the circumstances yeah, but you know he his mouth sometimes gets him into so much trouble and sometimes gets him out of so much trouble. And yeah, he's he's got a very bad relationship with words. I just had to say. <laughs> well, listen, um, I appreciate your time this morning, Leto. It's always good to have you on the show, and thank you for your insights today. Um, slightly less frustrating than some of the occasions where we talk, not because you are being frustrating, but because there's so few answers <laughs> to our ongoing questions and to our problems. Um, I hope we get to chat again soon, and thank you for your participation. And obviously to everybody in the comments, sorry we didn't get to all of them. There were some very, very interesting and valuable comments and some comments that I've just ignored. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll continue this conversation next week. <laughs> For me, oh, so you ignore yeah, some of them? I ignore some I of see. them. I did. I yeah, I'm the I'm the Becky Taylor here. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Uh, we will see you next <laughs> Thursday for another burning platform. But we'll see you tomorrow morning at six a.m. Cheers, everybody. Have a happy day. Bye bye.